Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about Marvel Hornets, directed by Joseph DeLage and Troy Wagner and written by Troy Wagner. Some relevant trigger warnings for this movie include stalking, home invasion, physical assault, blood, and our hosts rank this movie as pants-shittingly terrifying. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes and transcripts. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards that it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about something a little out of the ordinary, a classic analog horror web series of the mid-aughts. It's Marble Hornets. This week, Jeremy has been whisked away by uh, whatever convention he's at. I don't know which one it is, but since this will be coming out later on, you can pretend and make it up. He will be appealing and appearing at conventions coming up, so keep an eye out on his Twitter. Meanwhile, enjoy your host tonight. It's me. Emily, your friendly neighborhood megamoth, and I have, as per usual, assembled a panel of cinephiles and cinebites, starting here with my many times co-host, here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, it's Ben Khan. Ben, how are you tonight? Oh man, did someone just order up a heap and serving of being high at 19 in my college dorm room with the lights off, being scared out of my fucking mind. Yeah, I'm not going to say that drugs are required. Um, I do live in California. I don't know anything about cannabis. But what I do know about is some awesome people. We have an awesome guest tonight with us is Amanda, an artist of great renown, comic artist and illustrator, uh, notably of the Dames Zine. Amanda, how are you doing tonight? Doing fine. Doing great until you said of great renown. And then I'm like, whoa, Emily's hyping me up a little too much. Listen, you <laughs> will be. I'm going to jump in a little bit here to talk about directors and writers. This is a web series. First video was posted on YouTube, that wonderful film distributor, YouTube, uh, June 20th, 2009. So you can all find it all in one thing, but this was originally released over the course of uh, a while on YouTube through multiple YouTube channels. There was also a Twitter account that also was adding to it, which is hard to experience now, but this was very much of the 2000s like alternate reality games, like that yes. kind that Lost fucking loved back in the yeah. day. I was about to ask, like, because some people don't qualify it as an ARG, but would you qualify it as an ARG? I don't feel like getting into, like, <laughs> hair-splitting dictionary definitions, but if it's not the multimedia, immersive, audience-participatory elements of it, certainly give it a lot of influences and make it of that era. I think that's an important point, though, because we just watched the YouTube first season edited together as one long video you know you could definitely see that there were breaks the format was very unique to that kind of sporadic posting as if it is genuine found footage like someone trying to document 
this weird shit going on. And it was created according to my Wikipedia here, um, which is my go-to source. The series was created by Troy Ragnar, um, you know, based on the Slenderman character phenomenon. Which okay, is- I, I can be our little Slenderman historian here. This was started on the uh, thing off of form, a thread about create your own horror monster. Yes. And what would became the runaway most popular of the thread was this character called Slenderman, a no-faced, suit-wearing, elongated limbs figure, sometimes with tentacles, but not in marble hornets, um, figure who like appears in backgrounds and it was like the night early 80s black and white photo, like always just like in the background. And, you know, it was a very creepy one sentence story of like, oh, this photo was taken the day that 14 children went missing. And that right. just like sparked an imagination, took off at the same time. This was happening. Troy Wagner, who was a longtime member of Something Awful, was at the same time looking to make a supernatural horror web series and so pretty much within days of this character slender man being created they started work on marble hornets and again like there was just a few photoshop images and some one sentence forum post stories and they really created a lot of what became like the foundational lore and properties of slender man it feels like you got a completely different side of Slenderman fandom than I got. Like, you got the source and the side that I mostly experienced as a kid was when the Slender game came out and then people started shipping themselves with them. Yes. <laughs> so, like, uh, people were into Slenderman. Oh, that was definitely an element. I mean, the tentacles and the no face, who can blame them? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was another huge element was Slenderman the Eight Pages, this um, web-based series where Again, you're just going around hunting for pages in a creepy forest while Slenderman fucks you the fuck up through creepiness. And this came out very much at the dawn of when Let's Plays were becoming a very big thing. There was a whole era of the twenty early 2010s when fucking every Let's Player had a fucking video of them playing Slenderman and screaming their heads off in order to get views. When did the game come out? That came out in 2012. So that would have been a few years after this started. After okay. Horn, it started. Okay. So yeah, the uh, Wikipedia article that I'm looking at right here is saying that yes, uh, the Marble Hornets is, is an alternate reality game, and then the Slenderman game that Amanda is talking about is actually like a video game. Before we get too deep into it, let's uh, just dive into the recap. No hero's journey and definitely no three-act structure here. So <laughs> bear in mind, this is very different than your traditional movie, which, again, makes it just so unique. Marble Hornets follows a film student named Jay, who one day finds the tapes for said film Marble Hornets, an unfinished student film made by his friend Alec. After Alec extended production early, he gave the tapes to Jay, then cut off contact and moved away. Now, three years later, Jay decides to watch the tapes and chronicles what he finds onto YouTube to try to figure out what happened to the fil- to uh, the set. Uh, the early portion of the series chronicles the filming of Marble Hornets and how Alex was stalked at nearly all times by a faceless, suit-wearing, distorted humanoid figure called The Operator. Alex's physical and mental condition worsens the longer he's stalked. He becomes highly paranoid, irritable, and mean, as well as falling into intense coughing fits. Alex takes to filming himself at all times in hopes of catching The Operator following him. His tapes are full of distorted and corrupted video and audio, a telltale sign of the operator's presence. 
As Jake keeps uploading tapes and investigating what happened, he starts receiving threatening response videos from a channel called To The Ark that's full of super complex and encrypted spooky messages. To find out more, Jay meets with Tim, one of the actors from Marble Hornets, supposedly for the first time. He then gets a tip about where another actor, Brian, is, and Jay goes straight there because he is a dum-dum who questions nothing. <laughs> he goes to the house at night because dum-dum, and it's super spooky and in disrepair. Someone is clearly living there, but it's all sorts of messed up. Jay hears strange noises and runs off a few assorted items. Uh, later, to the arc, then posts a response video revealing that he was in the house watching Jay the whole time, and it's really fucking scary. The next video Jay uploads is of him, Alex, and Tim during the filming of Marble Hornets. But most importantly, Jay has no memory of ever being there. Jay goes back to Brian's house because seriously, he's just such a fucking dum-dum. There, he encounters a masked man named by the fans, Maskey, who tackles Jay to the ground. Jay wakes up the next morning in his car on the side of the road with no memory of how he got there. Jay posts footage he's taken of himself. And the security footage reveals that Maskey has been watching him sleep and that Jay himself has disappeared for several hours to the arc that later reveals that Jay spent the missing hours getting absolutely mind fucked by the operator who is now stalking Jay the way he did Alex. Jay reviews the items he took from Brian's house and finds most of them have been tampered with or stolen. He finds a hidden mes message in Alex's drawings that directs him to a red tower they visited during the Marble Hornets filming. At the tower, Jay finds a hidden tape. The tape shows Alex and cameraman Seth exploring an abandoned, blood-covered building. After being confronted by the operator, Alex leaves Seth behind. Alex says that all the cast and crew are gone now, including Jay. Jay goes back to Brian's house. Because seriously, <laughs> what are you doing, you dumb dumb? <laughs> While exploring the house, for some reason, the distortion video amplifies and... Jay finds himself warped and losing time and suddenly finds himself in the ha in the basement that Seth was abandoned in. For the first time in one of the entries, Jay comes face to face with the operator, then wakes up back at home, remembering nothing else and his camera destroyed. Freaked out by this and more threatening videos by To The Ark, Jay decides he doesn't want answers anymore and flees his apartment. At a hotel, Jay learns on the news that someone has burned down his apartment and Jay stays on the run, moving from location to location. But just when he's ready to move away and never think about this again, he receives one more tape. The tape shows Alex in the present day of 2010, alive and being attacked by the operator. Season one ends with Jay determined to find Alex. And now we can talk about all the crazy shit that just went down, because this is terrifying. Yes. Like, so what did y'all think? Because we watched literally 100 horror movies, and none of them delivered the scares that Marble Hornets did on a fucking rewatch. Well, for me, I think having the context probably would have been better because the version that I had, which was all of them strung together, had the weird cryptic like David Lynch movie kind of shit that To The Ark was posting just kind of interwined with the everything else there was no nothing to like separate yes all it. the david lynch shit is the to the arc videos yeah those were fucking cool but like i couldn't tell if they were supposed to be part of the tapes that jay was finding or if jay was adding them so it for me it just felt like a mood like i was going straight like super cold into this because this is the facet of the whole slenderman situation that 
I am the least familiar with. The video that we watched um, on YouTube basically makes one hour and a half long video out of all of the clips. I did think that was easier than trying to figure out how to directly watch like 70 different YouTube videos across two channels in the correct order. Yeah. So that was nice to have that in that order. But I think it's important to have the context that this is a to the arc response. Amanda, what did you think? I'm sorry, but I did not find it scary at all. (laughs) And I kind of knew a little bit what was going on. It was still kind of confusing because we're watching it in the context that we are now. And we watched it like in the middle of the morning, surrounded by friends in a wide open room. And it, um... Oh, that's not the right context at <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah. We didn't have like the Twitter this effect, is the old... but back and forth between YouTube channels and stuff. I feel like we missed out on like a lot of the context that comes with the media outside of just what the video footage is that adds something to the atmosphere. So I almost feel like we missed out on like half of what it was. Yeah, it really does. Because like with this, when I first encountered it, the videos were being uploaded like yeah. in real time. Like I started watching when they were putting, still putting out new episodes for season one. I feel like it's one of those pieces of media that like, can never be experienced the same way again once it has been released for a sufficient amount of time. Like yeah. it just that experience just sort of doesn't exist I anymore. I will say though, like just watch on the rewatch, like it was still just like chills and dread and tension and legitimate just scream out loud scares the way that normally this level of immersive horror I could only find in a horror video game. Yeah. This hit levels of horror that I do not experience in any movie. It's just so immersive. Like watching any horror movie, there's elements of, ooh, there's movie pacing. We're now out of act one and now we're into act two of the film. Like here's our lowest point. I'm judging it on like cinematography. I'm aware that there's movie makers making this. I'm judging the kill. I'm like, ooh, that's a creative, memorable kill. Like there's just this level of distance. And I think using very handheld camera equipment, having it be entirely first person and these like just caption boxes and having it all be released on YouTube creates such a level of immersion that nothing else can really match. And I think YouTube was just kind of the medium that the found footage genre needed. I feel like the thing about a lot of like low budget found footage stuff like this is that it can either go really well or really horribly depending on like the did like you said there's an amount of separation in high budget things and i feel like either like in low budget things either that amount of separation and like understanding that this is being made by someone it either gets way wider or way narrower just depending on a few little choices they make and i do think they managed to narrow that separation i think they did a good job with that it's like I think even with something like Blair Witch, which is kind of like the bar for found footage horror, there's an element of like, oh, well, you know, how haunted can it really be? There was a piece on it in Entertainment Weekly. I had to drive to a theater and buy a ticket to go see it. Like there are reviews for it. And I feel like Marvel is just being like some unknown random person with a YouTube channel anybody could have is just uploading 
zero budget, like found like camcorder footage. Like it's almost like if instead of being released in theaters with a big marketing campaign, Blair Witch Project had just VHSs had just shown up one day in video stores with a weird cover and zero promotion. I think there this might be an element that is lost, not experiencing in real time. But this was like very early in YouTube being like a big thing. YouTube was good for more than just being a gateway funnel to the alt-right back then. <laughs> well, it, it, but, this, is, this is really interesting because when Blair Witch came out, there was not really a lot of internet going around. There was not a lot of opportunities to do a research behind what was going on with Blair Witch. And they even had like on Fox or on like Sci-Fi Channel, they had that special that kind of talked about it was sort of like an unsolved mysteries show that was all staged about the people that found the footage for Blair Witch like I was a senior in high school I believe um when I was seeing all that go down and I was fascinated when it came out I was touring colleges in the Pacific Northwest which is a really great place to watch Blair Witch and get the shit scared out of you notoriously one of the spookier parts of our nation shockingly high amount of spookiness goes down in that Pacific Northwest yeah so I watched some real Twin Peaks shit it's where the Twin Peaks is I was well I wasn't exactly where the Twin Peaks is which interestingly is also where the northern exposure is were you where the life is strange is Yes, indeed. Uh, The only thing that we anticipate in the woods where I live is Bigfoot, so it's not very scary. I connect with Ben on this moment where it was new and no one knew shit about it. And I think that that's a really important context. Marble Hornets came out in 2009. YouTube had been around for four years. Now you just go on YouTube and go like, Origin of Slenderman, and it tells about something awful and all that. Yeah. Back in 2010, in 2009, 2010, it was not super easy to find out what the exact origin was. And that was part of the mystique of Slenderman was that it really just did seem to be this spontaneously generated urban myth like of the internet. I don't know if they had quite the same kind of reputation that they do now. I've I've known people that are still on the Something Awful forums and it is a mixed bag. It's it's definitely not the wretched hive of scum and villainy that some some other forums are. You but- can say 4chan. 4chan. It's not 4chan or Reddit. Although some gold nuggets come out of Reddit, I hear. I don't go there. I do not have the gumption to wander those wilds. That's for much braver individuals than I. But if you were a member of something awful, there is like a paywall. You get a membership and you go in there, you can, you have all of these like communities that are very, very tight knit and very you know, like they had the Photoshop Fridays and things like that for a really long time. A lot of content was generated, but it is an exclusive area, right? What I'm saying here is that it's this really fascinating artifact of the evolution of the internet. And with Blair Witch, because I saw it on opening day, the one theater in the entirety of Seattle that had it, it wasn't until the credits rolled and it said, this is a work of fiction, all characters are blah, 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 that... I had any idea that it was not real. Oh, damn. That's a real experience. Yeah. And so I was still fucking terrified. Like I was having a panic attack that whole day. So I can see how like when you're going through this Marble Hornets thing and just like glued to your screen, like trying to decipher pixels and all the binary shit that's going by and like all of this weird cryptic shit. It's fucking fascinating. Like, this is the era of the ARG and 
there was a like Reddit R sub R Marble Hornets where yeah. the fans were like dissecting the codes in like 30 minutes. I think in addition to just stumbling upon a really unique medium and using it really well. And in case it wasn't clear, and if you didn't like it, feel free to shit on it. Shit on me. That's fine, too. <laughs> I legitimately think this is a masterpiece of horror filmmaking. Like, I really do. And I think it had some really good influences that it used. Like, it obviously, you have the Blair Witch is a huge influence, like, mm-hmm. clearly. I think, especially with Slenderman, and they really play this up, there is very much this Lovecraftian Cthulhu-ness where the terror doesn't come from like, ooh, there's a monster and they're going to bite me and eat me and rip me apart and do all the violence towards me. It is this, there is something so completely unknowable and the fear of that level of unknowable and very much that it's all this mental psychological horror that the further you investigate, the more, you know, Nietzsche, the abyss stares back and the very act of trying to uncover the truth just like drives you insane. And I think that's a really compelling horror. I think the horror of not violence is really underestimated. Yeah. And the yeah. the only example I have is this video game, Condemned Criminal Origins, where you play a FBI agent who just beats like rabid homeless people to death it hasn't aged super well the plot real (laughs) fucked up it's bad real real fucked up it's just like a bludgeon homeless people to death with heavy object simulator it's bad but it has the scariest moment that i've ever experienced in a video game and it's the shopping mall level and a mannequin or someone that had been pretending to be a mannequin comes to life but instead of attacking me like I expected, they just walked the fuck away and it creeped me so the fuck out that I turned the game off and never went back. I remember that part. It was it's so much scarier than all the other shit that they could have yeah. done. Like, it's yeah. so much worse. It and I just, feel like that people fall into the prey of letting that like fear of violence like they put the violence in the game. It, it ruins the horror so easily. And I feel like a lot of people have done that. This movie, I think, also really plays into uh, fear of like being watched. Like, yeah. That's so terrifying. Like, it's not attacking you. It's just watching you. And you can't hide from it. Like, anytime. God, there's the video where Alex wakes up and he's, like, filming all around the windows, checking every outside every window, making sure he's not there. And then, like, not even noticing it but just like whipping the camera around and the operator is just like there inside his kitchen, like already there. And he doesn't even see that it's there. Yeah. The, there's also that, that psychological aspect of slowly not being able to trust your own perception. Yeah. Like yeah. when they start losing parts of their memory and that like not being able to trust your own perception of reality is like even freakier. So it, was, it actually reminded me, we just recently covered um, perfect blue where the main character is so thoroughly gaslit and destabilized that she only trusts what's written down in a fake diary website written by her stalker. Jay is so mentally destabilized. You can only trust what's on these tapes. Well, at the same time, it's clear you can't fucking trust these tapes. The use of video and audio distortion is so great. Like 
the operator doesn't even need to appear. Just a little video crackling is enough to just completely set you on edge that he's just there watching. I was not as convinced by the effects. Like I wasn't as convinced by of the, the tape effects. Uh, I thought it was a very good way of showing that this being is so unknowable and just so deeply wrong that like it is a reality warper. Given that all we have is video, if video is reality, it's very effective of just showing like reality cannot properly exist around the operator. Yeah, no, I I agree that it's a cool, like it's a really cool narrative uh, tool to build tension and things like that and to sort of alter perception and really get that sense of dread and also the, the surrealism of the situation. The problem that I have, because I am such an AV nerd, like I can point and say like, oh, that's that effect. That's that effect. That's that effect. So it's harder for me to separate myself from that process. But no, that's very real though. Like, yeah, as I've said, so much of what I love about this is for me, how unbreakable the illusion was. So if you're routinely seeing things that break that illusion, that lessen the immersiveness no that's absolutely gonna have a big impact because i think that series the series may live or die on achieving that level of immersiveness i mean for something that is this early and also like i think that the timing is really important because not everybody had iMovie in 2007 you know like the cameras that they were using there's a genuineness to it you can't make it too fancy you know yeah we were talking about this um earlier before we started recording there have been a few Slender Man movies yeah. and boy, is that immersion totally broken when you're acting like it's found footage with handheld cameras and iPhones and yet it's HD 7, you know, like 1080p, like super crisp HD film footage. Yeah. And unlike like, our current analog horror trend, which bless every analog horror creator out there a little bit like this, we've got a new generation of people who did not grow up with videotapes. And so they're using all of these effects, like all these cool iMovie effects or well, whatever it is that the kids use these days. So my skin's falling off. I'm old. But um, that's not a thing that happens when you get old. I, I think that's leprosy. I mean, you should, you should get that. Look, you should get the whole skin falling off thing looked at. I mean, it's that's a know, movie right there. I that's think body I, was, I was trying Stop to say it. I was starting to get to and my skin. Stay on. Sorry. I mean, that's terrible. I'm getting I I get calluses anyway yeah it's important that these are really like basic videotape effects some of the things that they have on the tapes were effects that were available on the camera so yeah you could say that there's something going on like the camera's functioning is uh being uh, fucked with or whatever by the operator but the new analog horror trend has a lot of quote-unquote videotape footage which is just digital footage with eight millimeter artifacts on it. And they're like, oh, it's a tape. It was on public access TV. And I'm like, no, listen. Yeah, like they actually filmed this with a handheld like camcorder camera. Apparently one camera that survived the like all five years it took to film the whole series, which is amazing. It leads to a more immersive feel that this is just random people, not like an intentional film set, like film crew creating a series it helps that they actually had no budget and that's what they could afford but also i think in this case that camera quality really helps like a it helps like the operator effect look 
in any way immersive and real and not whatever super super mundane way they actually made it like i don't know like a volleyball on a stick in a in an oversized brooks brothers suit or whatever the hell it was. was but for what it is especially early on when you don't know what the operator is or like where it is or what's going on you're just pausing being like oh shit a white smudge in part of the window frame fuck yeah. amanda you're gonna Pre- i'm pretty sure they said something about like people were asking them how they like dressed someone up as the operator somewhat recently and they're like oh if we tell you it's gonna ruin it and I think it turns out it was just like someone like standing on like really like high shoes with like extra heel added. Oh, like and then like part. they had like white nylon over their head. And, like that was it. <laughs> they do it from a yeah. distance with a bad camera moving quickly. Like when they're having the scene in the car and Alex filming Brian and then Brian just leans back and the operator is just there. Yeah. Peeking out of the brick building. Like I lost it. Like I jumped out of my chair. Like. It was a master at getting the biggest reaction out of the minimalist of things. Yeah. Again, it's still one of the most chill-inducing things I've ever seen. I wished I could get back into, like, that headspace of, like, when I was a young teen and everything would scare the pants off of me. And I hadn't seen, like, 30 Netflix horror movies over and over again. Because <laughs> I feel like I've been like severely desensitized to these kind of scares. We've lost 58 doors this week, sir. Oh, kids these days. They just don't get scared like they used to. Well, let's talk about Slenderman real quick because like, I mean, I, I was adjacent to it, but I Slenderman was initially just kind of some sort of sexy man thing that was explained to me by my students. Was that how you were initially introduced to Slender Man being yes. like, do you like monster fucking? Oh, then boy, do we got the, like the businessman for you. Yeah, that was we didn't use that nomenclature because I was a teacher in a class of young people. But there was a lot of I remember when you want to fuck a monster, but also have someone who seems like they could financially provide for you. Slender <laughs> Man. He's dressed for business. <laughs> Amanda, where were you when you first experienced Slender Man? I hate to admit it. But I believe it was, I believe Pootie Pie was playing Slender the Eight Pages. Okay. And I was literally, and then all of my friends started playing it. And my friends had tried to get me to play it. But I have a very exaggerated, like, reaction to jump scares. And I have an exaggerated startle response. I have been scared by automated checkouts. Like... <laughs> I, I wasn't about to do that. And this so, series has some real jump scares. I can, I can watch movie jump scares, I feel now, but like I video games hit a little different. Oh, video games. I mean, you talk about immersiveness and horror. Video games are unmatched. Yeah. I mean, there's something about being right there and then being able to turn around that that sense of interactivity where that thing is literally right behind you. It just Slenderman is a bit of a meme to me because yeah, after the video game came out, I was on DeviantArt a lot and I started seeing people, you know, like eventually people were like shipping Slenderman with Jeff the Killer and they were like, mm, it's my yummy yaoi boys. <laughs> like, I just can't unsee that. And whenever I see Slenderman, I think of all the all the 40 fan art. I <laughs> Yeah, and like girls making the like sparkle wolves and being like, she lives in the Slender Mansion. Yeah, I see the, I think the first Slenderman media I saw was fan art that a student of mine did. That was like a Slenderman and he was like, 
in the woods or whatever and being wobbly and he had like a little heart coming off one of his nub hands like he was offering it to you and i'm like well that seems kind of sweet and then some people sent me links and yeah, sort of like here you go <laughs> it is interesting like the meteoric rise and memeability of slender man and then it's kind of weird how the history of slender man has a little bit followed the plot of the movie Candyman. yeah where it became so big and prevalent and powerful in people's mind that it started inspiring real world violence which then kind of made society pull back on slender man to try to like kill the story which is also kind of how it is the marble hornets we're just knowing it and like the story yeah fucks you up and like there's something very and again it was very horrific what happened and thank god no one actually was killed but it's very interesting that something that again started with a photoshopped image and a forum post went like Candyman, full urban legend and then the point where it's in a way manifesting in real life and that was also kind of part of marble hornets there was that element of interactivity and quasi realness that made you go like oh by watching this video by investigating this thing that anyone who investigates goes insane am i opening myself up to be slender man's next victim the way that fiction and reality blurred with slender man is very interesting but also very very disturbing unfortunately for slender man the thing that i was comparing him to while watching marble hornets was the bye-bye man which probably also wasn't doing him any favors. What was the bye-bye? No, I'm just assuming that's just an incredible a person who's just very happy about being bisexual. <laughs> the bye-bye man is a very bad horror movie. And the, the crux of the whole thing is that if you read the words bye-bye man or say it, he'll like appear and like you'll spread the knowledge of his name to another person. And then like he'll appear for them because like, they're not supposed to think of the name. They're not supposed to say the name or he will appear. And, but it's just kind of goofy. Yeah. They make it really goofy. I think one thing that's compelling about Slender Man, I love that we get so little answers. Like we don't know what Slender Man is, how, why, like it's just there and so unknowable. Like one of the big mysteries to me that I have, even after the series is over is, what happened to Jay during the filming. Like we know he was part of it. And then Alex says, like when he mentions people that are gone, he says like Jay's gone. Yeah. And Jay just had these tapes for three years and only three years later, he's like, oh yeah, those tapes. Like I found them. I should watch them. I forgot I even had them. Like Alex tries his runs away and then just like a camera turning on and him seeing a camera is all it takes for the operator to come back into his life and just be there. Like to the arc has one very creepy video, which is like found you forever. Yes. And, it's I like, and that's that one. And that's just so terrifying that that inescapability that once the operator has found you, it has found you forever. You know, you have the, these ideas of memes, like cyberpunk snow crash kind of thing, you know, downloading information in your brain could be a virus. Right. And it really makes you think about the ideas. And I think, it was either that you. feels like we already have that without needing cyber brains. We're just well, da- 
information. We, I feel like we already have information viruses that people are downloading into their brains just with social media and Fox News. They're called yes. memes. Yeah, they're, they're called what, memes. Hideo Kojima tried to warn us about it when we had to fight the president and win a samurai duel. Yeah. It's all in Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> Wasn't that Revengeance? Was it? Oh, no. He fights the former president in Metal Gear Solid 2. He fights a sitting senator in Revengeance. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to get to that element, too. We're going to talk a little bit about progressive politics. There's not a lot in Slenderman. Is there anything gay in the in Marble Hornets? Like we talked about, there's a lot of gay Slenderman fan art, so oh, yeah. I guess that counts. Well, Slenderman, despite Monster being how a- you kiss a being with no mouth, you find a way. Yeah, yeah. I think some, something about the monster fucking situation is, you know, opens up new doors and possibilities of like how you can interact with things. I don't know. I'm getting very out there right now, but the comparison. Look, when, Ed, when Slender Man watches you sleep, it's horror. When Edward Cullen does it, it's a romance. I'm just seeing some double standards here. Try shit, Bella and Slender Man. Bella would have been done much better by Slenderman. Slenderman wouldn't demand marriage either. How great would that be? Just replace like Edward with Slenderman in Twilight. Just like still have like all the scenes where he's in high school, but now he just has no face and a face <laughs> suit and he's just still <laughs> in science class. Yeah, let's get some deep fakers on that. Okay, no need to qu- credit us. I know this is a really good idea, but just put it out there. That'll be our new Marble Hornet. Oh, can I get? We need to find a DC editor and pitch Black Label book question versus Slender Man. No face versus no face. Who? How do you tell them apart? Exactly. <laughs> Whose, face is the, <laughs> Whose face is the not face of the not? How can you tell which no face is your not face? It's going to be some cool art in this book. I think there is like just, less we could do it. I mean, again, just like that. It's just humanoid, but the limbs are just wrong. That there's no face, like it's a l- little uncanny valley, like creepiness. Like I really feel like just the character in the meme of Slender Man. Once you get to the core of it, beyond the memes and all the jokes that it kind of became, it's it just feels like a really powerful confluence of a lot of different horror influences. Oh yeah, I I love how like the just the name alone evokes the fear of tall skinny people um, <laughs> that's why you don't let larry bird around your kids <laughs> tall skinny white people that's very important that's yeah. why i had to go with larry bird for that joke yeah and i quickly mention my favorite part in the whole first season yes every, yeah. every time we see that doll on the stairs <laughs> because i just imagine the people making Marble it, and I imagine them painstakingly stitching together this little Slenderman doll and putting him on the top of the stairs to scare us. And it is genuinely creepy. Well, that's the, like, but it, it just shows so much heart. That is, is a hand that is a hand-stitched little Slenderman doll. Like sitting on the stairs. Did Slenderman make one of its like servants do that? Like, did Mackie sew that? Did Slenderman sew that with exactly. his weird hands? Like, who yeah. made that who doll? Who made that goddamn doll? I want to know so bad. Did it come off uh, of Slenderman? Like, Ray comes off Lilith spoilers. Like, you just pull it off of Slenderman, and there's like a little doll of Slenderman, and then it grows into a big Slenderman when you water it. I yeah. wish that it was one of those dolls where like you pull a string and then like it says something. You just pull it, it goes like, ah! no face or so oh yeah or like it goes wow in in that voice did you that's the real canon slender man voice he talks like this 
It's like one of those little little pills that you put in water and they turn into like a dinosaur sponge. Yeah. Normally my favorite thing is to be like, hey, filmmakers, why the fuck did you make this decision? And I don't have a lot of that, especially this being like a very original, innovative web series. I just have some like moments I want to highlight um, as just moments I really liked. The end of season one, when we see that tape of Alex and his girlfriend is like with the camera and she's just so cat after so much filming where you can tell the person holding the camera is tense as fuck. The little bit of just relaxing and just like the way the camera's held of her yeah. messing around. And then it just like hands back and the upper is just there in the house. Like that was all it took to bring him back. And you just see him full on like it every time. Like I knew it was coming and it still just made me like scream out loud. I'm sorry. It's maybe spoilers for future seasons. I don't know. Do we know why Allison just like smashed that camera into a million pieces? I mean, honestly, they don't explicitly say it, but I would take him as word that like he forgot it was even there because fucking oh, <laughs> just fair. memories yeah, are. Yeah, that's fair. Like how there's a sense of like the operator wouldn't let him completely go away. Like just gave him a reprieve and then just like a little bit of mem, just a little bit of memory was all it took. And then just damn well i almost wonder if like it's sort of one of those things like i'm gonna distance myself from you so you forget about me but then when you loosen up and start getting close to other people that i can potentially also hurt now that like you're giving me access to more victims sort of thing it's not a pyramid scheme and like alex would have done that if he's like isolated himself so one of my favorite elements of this show and again like it's a more humorous thing that it doesn't show up in this season but it shows up in other seasons is because of the immersion, the YouTube series Marble Hornets also exists within the world of Marble Hornets. So routinely what happens is characters have information they shouldn't and Jay will be like, how do you know that? And they'll be like, I watched the fucking YouTube videos, you dumb-dumb. Interesting. You uploaded it to YouTube. Like at one yeah. point, like spoilers for later seasons, Alex comes in and is like, I told you to burn the tapes, so you upload them to YouTube? Are you fucking with me? That sounds rad. Okay. I'm so glad they actually acknowledge that. Yeah. But yeah, is there anything queer in this Marble Hornets? Only the fan art. Is there anything but white people? No, including Slenderman, who's yeah. the whitest. Are there women in Marble Hornets? For a little bit? I think I Sort of, kind of. Uh, technically, but if you have to say technically, that's a bad sign. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, they... at least in this season, uh, in later seasons, we get a pretty much just a straight up damsel in distress, but that doesn't help. But yeah, no, this, there's really not a big societal theme. It's really the execution and the medium. Yeah, I was going to say, if if there are women who are talking about only Slenderman, does that count as failing the Bechtel test? I'm not sure because I'm th thinking of the women in it. And I don't think either of them like talk about Slender Man in season one. They are yeah. named. They are named. At, at least one of them just gets to talk about like, I hate this terrible student film I'm in. I mean, th that's one of the most genuine things about this film is that the student film that they're making, which is Marble Hornets, I don't know why it's called Marble Hornets. Marble Hornets sounds really cool. The origin of that is Troy Wagner couldn't come up with a title, so he decided to just be inspired 
by the next two things he saw. So then he passed a billboard for a stone for masonry store promoting granite and then an exterminator truck that bragged it could kill hornets. And he was just like, yep, first two things I saw, marble hornets. But I do like that. I do like that it's the title of the student film and not like the Slender Man tapes. Yeah. It's like, well, how the fuck would you know Slender Man person making the tapes? Like, yeah. It, it adds to the immersion that's like, how could I name it after the monster? I don't know what the fuck the monster is. Sometimes the immersion got so deep that I got unimmersed because like the very confident, like just fresh into college energy of a white boy in film school is like <laughs> poignant in this film. And I, I have met these people. Their hats were just, mm. <laughs> You've met them and their hats. Oh, that hat that Jay has. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, That's a film school hat for sure. I read their scripts and it was all it was all very real. (laughs) I mean, I feel like it was lost in the past while watching this. Like what humor there is to be had in this, I think from just how tongue in cheek they are and just Marble Hornets, the student film being the worst, most vapid, pretentious student film you could have. Like, that's right, like, a college film student returns to their hometown and talks with old acquaintances and their old love interest and has feeling and has white boy feelings. God. That's why Slenderman attacked them, because he's like, oh, fuck this film. Nope. (laughs) Nope, can't let this abomination of a student film happen. We doing some haunting. Well, I was wondering for a while if operator sickness, just one of the symptoms was making you bad at cinematography, because most of the time the camera's pointed at the ground. And I brought this up with Emily, that whenever he's investigating something, he's like, I need to document this. This is so important. The camera's pointed at the ground and it drove (laughs) me insane. And I told Emily, this feels like I'm watching my parents play an FPS game and they won't aim the camera up. The only downside that season one versus other seasons is that there's not very much of Tim, a character who the fan base would later dub thick and sassy. I just saw him as like the guy with the cyber. Tim becomes a much more important character in the subsequent seasons. Yeah. I mean, I understand the importance of making it genuine, like you have a camera, but like if they're supposed to be film students, I feel like they should at least keep the camera above their feet. But, you know, it is also like, yeah, it's it's a little bit disorienting. It was a little bit much a couple of times, but I feel like they were leaning a little bit too into not knowing how to use a camera at times. <laughs> um, again, that's the thing, though. I'm like, are they leaning into not knowing how to use a camera or do they not know how to use a camera? You can't tell. Yeah. So immersive. Such perfect immersion. This is like when I listen to the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast and they talk about like the first few episodes they made and people are like, so why do you make that lighting decision? And their response was lighting. (laughs) Yeah. So this brings me back to the thing that I was starting to say and then got sidetracked because that is something that so rarely happens. The idea of the mimetic quality of Slender Man the completely made up thing, not like an ancient tradition or something like that has the historical gravitas, but something that some guy made in a, in a something awful forum became real enough that people were stabbing each other over it. And something about that, I don't know, the meta-ness, I don't know. Like there's a lot to that, that I think is really interesting. And the way that 
in Marble Hornets, the operator is an idea. You don't know exactly what it is or what it does, but you know it is full of menace. And it completely, it doesn't like necessarily kill you, but it completely disorients you. One of the but, um, biggest scares is the videos where Jay like walks out of his bedroom door and he's missing for two hours. And then you find out later from a to the arc response that he has just been sitting on the ground, staring, being completely just freaked out by like the operator just standing above him the whole time. Like it's so like, oh, you don't you're not hiding from the monster. The monster is there. It's watching you. It can have you at any time and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And there's something really poignant about that because he evokes the men in black. He evokes aliens. You know, there's a sort of evil government, a shady government agency aspect to him. He's like a man-shaped, long mayonnaise creature in a suit. And if that doesn't describe a lot of the real-life sources of existential horror that we have today, right? And it, 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 this is getting very much, you know, like, I swear I haven't had any animals, like, but I feel like it's, it's very poignant no that way. <laughs> I mean, oh. no, it's, you're totally right. Like, there's this very much this fear of not having control that at yeah. any point your body can just be taken without your consent, that your mind can be broken, that your memories can just be erased. Yeah. Like, and your your identity is taken from you. There's all the coughing and stuff, and that's a big physical manifestation, but that almost seems like an afterthought to just all the other ways that just being in the operator's sights or whatever the fuck passes for his no eyes. God, this ah, it's just so disturbing. Like I just I think Slenderman really is just so compelling and creepy and disturbing. And I think that's just part of the memeability is that. It's a great fucking horror monster. Now, I have heard, I have seen memes, speaking of memes, I've seen memes that include Slenderman in like the, I became queer through video games or something like joke chart, right? Where like the queer video gamer starter pack and Slenderman is in there. How? How? Why? I, I think I can, see, I might be wrong. But speaking from my my weird envy experience, yes, oftentimes you'll just see a, a weird faceless tentacle monster and be like, oh my god, I have so much gender envy now. I want to be that thing. Like yeah. uh, It's the wannabe void. I want to be the void. I don't want to be perceived. <laughs> I want to be unknowable. I want my gender to be unknowable. And Slenderman, like, he's definitely gendered, but I can feel him maybe... So there's envy for people not being able to perceive Slender Man without going insane. And Maybe. you would also like that power. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. The, that's, the, that's big gender to me. Yeah. The, <laughs> the queer desire to be unperceivable by reality. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. I don't know. Maybe he also inspired some trans masks to try suits. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Look, sometimes he just got that trans urge to break the minds of some shitty film students yeah and you know i think that that's also as i say a mood so do we have anything else that we want to discuss about these marble hornets and the associated slenderman we discussed like there's not really much in the way of politics and i'm not sure what the themes are but i do think it's 
a very well-executed, terrifying confluence of horror influences that's exceptionally well-made. Mm-hmm. But I think its most interesting facet is just this incredibly unique period of time it came out in and the way it utilized a format in a way that really hadn't been done before or hadn't been done to that quality or success. Yeah. I think that it was really interesting to watch something that was so integral and like the culmination of a new mythological creature coming into existence. For real. Because like we always think of like vampires and zombies and like werewolves and shit, but that all had to start somewhere. And it is, it's really interesting to see like a new horror creature be born in like the public mindscape. Yeah, yeah like the first monster born of the internet, aside from, you know, the people who use the internet. But, you know, you're totally right. Like there was this very much this thrill of like, we're creating something new and like we're at the ground floor of myth. Like this is a world that's supposed to not have magic. And yet it feels like we've just created magic. Like we are spinning a new urban myth. And in a Neil gaiman way, there was that sense of like, oh, is our belief in this thing we've created from nothing going to make it real? And then it kind of did. And then we're like, ooh, again, pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. Yeah, well, it's, I think that that's one but, of the most incredible things about Slenderman. The story, the creature is such a blank slate. It is just accessible enough for people that they can interact with it. Just like with seeing UFOs or stories about werewolves or whatever, like anything that you can't really explain. Slenderman fits in there really easily. And then with stuff like these analog horror or alternate reality games, there's a level of interactive quality to it that is so much more pronounced than anything before it. With this thing specifically, because it sort of slender belongs to the public. Mm-hmm. So anyone can make anything out of him. And he doesn't have that barrier to entry that copyright creates with like larger creations so it is sort of like like a group creation of like all everyone on the internet which i mean does tend to evolve characters and writing like way faster than keeping them under lock and key yeah 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 like like he was he wasn't locked away by copyright law which i feel just is what part of what made him myth so quickly yeah Yeah. anyone can do their own Slender Man story if they want. And I've definitely wanted to in some comic series, but didn't get the chance. But I think just the newness was so exciting that like, oh, this isn't another vampire show that's exploring or twisting the rules of vampires, but we know what the rules are. There's preconceived rules of vampires. Like we were watching rules be created. Like we were watching a truly new original mythology just be born in front of our eyes. And it was just, it was a really, it was really exciting like to see Slender Man develop out of like nothing and then just be everywhere within a few years. Well, I want to get into our recommendations here. And usually we we do one recommendation, but since I'm here, I'm going to say you could do at least two. We will make it to this. Ben, you recommended True Detective, True Detective season one, very specifically season one of True Detective. Excellent. Do not watch season two with Vince. Sometimes your worst self is your best self, Vaughn. Oh, Jesus Christ. Cannot uh, overemphasize this enough. 
True Detective Season 1. It is another detective mystery, but it is very Lovecraftian-inspired and just, like, really takes you down that paranoia, horror, mind-fuck rabbit hole. Love Season 1 True Detective. That's my recommendation. I have been interested in it, but then I keep hearing all these mixed reviews of it, and I think it's because of all the different seasons. Like, some of them are just really shitty. All the seasons are essentially different shows, so just watch Season 1. Have you seen, have either of you seen the always watching a Marble Hornet's story? No, but I watched the trailer and I'm like, nope. Okay. No HD. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I, all I know about it is that Doug Jones plays Slenderman and that's, that's a match made in heaven as far as I'm concerned. That makes a lot of sense. No, this is somewhat relevant to you, Emily, like your expertise, because Marble Hornets doesn't have a comic series i believe it has a graphic novel series does it i do believe a comic series was announced i think there's something there <laughs> but I, I didn't really look into it but i i, I mean that's a uh, can you imagine like a ben temple smith slenderman comic i'd be dope um oh. comic book written by troy wagner and illustrated by jackie reynolds Ooh, so check that out that looks cool now my question for the panel about Slender Man is if you did get close enough to him, do you think you could put things on his face like Mr. Potato Head? I think that I don't know if he's pliable. I mean, you could probably draw on him, but I think that Slender Man has some sort of alternate, like some reality warping shit where you, as you get like a psionic, you know, Thacko. I don't know. I'm just saying D&D words. But well, um, actually, Emily, Sacco would refer to his ability to hit you. My... You're thinking of his armor class. Yeah. Well, I thought that was part of your ar- armor class, to hit armor class. No, Thacko means to hit armor class zero. That's what I thought. That's what I said. Anyway. I'm sorry. It's your ability to hit the armor class. I'm sorry. I'm not going to explain Thacko. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Play Dungeons and Dragons second edition if you want to know more about Thacko. I don't recommend it. Do not play second edition. In terms of recommendations, though, Amanda, do you have, uh, other than the comic book, do you have any recommendations if someone enjoys this kind of stuff? In terms of like, you know, YouTube sort of analog style horror, uh, Local 58 is pretty good. Hell yeah. You check that out. That's a pretty good one. Uh, in terms of freaking goofy horror, but I'm just personally, I just personally enjoyed watching. There's a movie you can watch on Netflix called The Babysitter uh, that I found very funny, but has very mixed reviews, but I found it very funny. So, all right. Ben, do you have any more sweet rec? Um, Yeah, I do. And by that, I mean stalling for more time. I don't. Okay. <laughs> See, I thought you were just going to recommend that everyone watch the entire, like the rest of the Marble Hornet series. I mean, I do think it's worth continuing. If you like season one, I definitely think it's worth continuing on. There's plenty more scares, answers, twists, and lots of scares. But I do think there's something to be said for the show being at its best when it's most mysterious and you know the least about what's going on and you're just going on that those first steps of like what the fuck i think it's really cool to, i mean i would recommend marble hornets i would recommend it with the context certainly but i would also recommend it to sort of see the progression of analog horror because my recommendation as i think we've we've decided to re- that we recommend this movie for the most part amanda would you recommend somebody watch this 
Whatever comes to want to watch Marvel. It really, it depends. There are some parts where like the audio effects can get a little grating if you're bothered by that sort of thing. Yeah. Like usually I'm bothered by audio effects, but like they used ones that weren't too bad. It's there's some stuff that could give you a little eye strain. Like it it depends. Yeah. I think like if you've watched, if you're aware of analog horror and you're interested in it, I say just go for it. Like the first season isn't terribly long. Yeah. And it really seems to have inspired stuff like the back rooms. And the back rooms, I think, is one of my favorite analog horror that's going on right now. And it's a series on on uh, YouTube and it starts out with people filming a movie, but just suddenly the cameraman is whisked into some parallel dimension where it's basically being lost in a convention center, but 10 times more surreal, which if you've ever been lost in a convention center, it's terrifyingly surreal. And especially when you're in a convention center that is so big that like your convention that you're there for is like only a small part of it. It's really well done, especially considering that it is all done in like After Effects or something like it's all 3D rendered, but they actually use those like analog special effects to make it really convincing. And yeah, can't recommend that enough. Yeah. So I think that does it for us today. Amanda, where can people find you online? Oh, um, on most social media platforms, you can find me at RoboFeather, R-O-B-O-F-E-A-T-H-E-R, like a robotic feather. I make art. I do illustrations. I occasionally will put out a short little comic, things like that. Yeah. And the Dames zine, there was a new edition of that, but the pre-orders aren't available anymore. Are they going to be doing more stuff? Yeah, we have closed pre-orders for horns, but there should be some, there could be some extra copies for sale later if you keep your eye open. Will those be available on like at convention floor stuff for, for participating artists, or is it just all? Yes, yeah, rad. So check that out. So it's horns. Yeah, horns was our our latest book. It was a it was a smaller book. It's about warriors with horns. The through theme throughout all of the books is like women warriors or our smaller books are about other kinds of warriors we did dog warriors which was bushy doge <laughs> oh that's good that was that was really fun i got to draw like the cutest little interior pattern for that awesome so check that out just look up dame zine and you should find it ben is on twitter at ben the con and their website benconcomics.com where you can pick up all of their books including the brand new is it still brand new immortal speed it's Friday? not <laughs> uh, but uh, by now, Heavenly Blues has been re-released in bookstores of a brand new cover by uh, series artist Bruno Hidalgo. So if you want to check out this uh, heist of the afterlife, then check out Heavenly Blues now in bookstores. Awesome. Yes. So Heavenly Blues and, of course, the GLAAD Award nominated Renegade Rule. That is uh, graphic novel is also out. In bookstores, comics, comic stores, and wherever fine books are sold. And I'm on the internet. I'm Emily, also known as Megamoth, on Twitter, Tumblr, Patreon, Instagram, Mega underscore Moth, and Megamoth.net. Jeremy's out there, too. If you want to find out where Jeremy is right now, you can probably go to his Twitter at jroom58. And, of course, you can visit us at the Prague Horror Pod Twitter, which is... As I said, at Prog Horror Pod and check us out on transistor.fm at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm to check out our tweets, our shows. Come say hi. Come talk to us. We have a Patreon. Join that. And uh, please 
rate and review uh, where you find us online. Give us them stars. We will give you love, respect, and gratitude and um, help us uh, keep the lights on, let people know where we are, who we are, and how rad we are. Because we think you're rad. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Ben. And Amanda, thank you especially for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, Super fun. Thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. So watch out for that Slenderman and the Trenderman and maybe even the Tenderman. You're pronouncing it Slenderman just that, like just makes it sound like he's an accountant. I mean... I got I to gotta get my taxes done from, uh, yeah, no, Norm, Norm Slenderman. Mr. Slenderman down in accounting. Since my CPA, Jerry Slenderman, he's always watching my stubs. All right. Well, thank you again for listening and check us out next week. We'll be talking about something even more spooky. Have a great night. Goodbye. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Ben and Emily and special guest Amanda. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.